Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Try to use as many tools as possible because when you're a small team, it's hard to get up and set up so much infrastructure. It's hard to have one person dedicated to monitoring. And so it's extremely important to just like take as many take as many of these tools as possible and see what you can just piece together. It's a bit of a Frankenstein project and that's what a startup tech platform is, but it will help you survive. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry. First of all, thank you everyone for joining my talk and thank you so much for having me. My name is Kathy. And I'll be talking about my experience, my whole journey as a chief technology officer at a seed stage startup. Okay, so because the company that I founded was, it's a bit smaller than the companies that other people work for at this conference, I'll give a little background on why I'm giving this talk, why I feel like what we've accomplished as an all-female team is super important. So Queenly started as an iOS, web, and Android app released around 2019, iOS first, later web and Android later that year. And then we were able to achieve many milestones in the tech industry. Uh, first being accepted by Y Combinator or earlier this year in their winter 2021 batch, we did their demo day. And from demo day, we, we raised a $6.3 million seed round led by Andreessen Horowitz, many wonderful angel investors, and many wonderful firms. A quick update on the numbers just quoted is we're almost at 200,000 app store downloads and 120,000 monthly active users. And as our platform is a platform for wedding dresses, prom dresses, all kinds of special occasion dresses, and we have over 70,000 dresses listed. And this is, this was definitely such a journey, such a difficult, challenging time to grow a company, especially during the pandemic, as well as it's my first company, it was my co-founder's first company. And from the very beginning, from my own experience, like I always had that imposter syndrome on whether I could call myself a CTO, whether I had the skill set, whether I had the experience, the qualifications. But my background is that I'm a computer science grad from the University of Pennsylvania. And right after graduation, I joined Pinterest. I was a full stack engineer there, was working on the web stack, the Iowa stack, trying as hard as possible to learn and grow for those few years. And I think that really helped me build my expertise, build the foundation for being able to kick off and start Queenly. What we're super proud of myself, and here's a picture of myself and my co-founder, Trisha. Um, we're an all-female founding team, so not just the two of us as female minority founders, but pretty much all our early full-time uh, founding team that we've hired this year. We're a team of eight now, and we've hired many wonderful women from Poshmark, from small startups, from a range of different backgrounds, and have gotten to this far, gotten this far, gotten so much traction because of that. Another thing that is, I think is pretty unique is um, we're a tech startup, but our whole engineering team is so far all women. And I've been super proud of Juliet and Dee and all the growth, all the accomplishments we've had so far are due to them and due to our entire team, all the work and effort. 
And yeah, that's why I want to be here. That's why I feel like uh, what we've accomplished, what the technical journey that Queenly has gone through is really worth showcasing. And I hope that hearing about this will help everyone too. Okay, so let's start back in 2019. This was back when I was still a full-time engineer at Pinterest. We were thinking about launching Queenly as a minimal viable product. And the thing about what people call an MVP and when people talk about just kicking off your product, there is a lot of anxiety around that. And looking back on it retrospectively, I feel that the best advice is to just do it and to, to not get hung up on the fact of thinking about having a big launch, thinking about having like super polished end-to-end -end user design. So my advice when it comes to launching, oh, one other thing, the whole story of when we first submitted this first app to the Apple App Store is that we ran into all these issues with getting approved to the App Store. And they're super strict about it when you're a first-time developer. And getting that first approval, getting that timeline is always going to be a huge hurdle. So my advice is to not get hung up on that because you'll always have this process of getting feedback from your customers, from your users, iterating on your design, and it will not look at all like what you saw on day zero of, of your product. Okay, so a lot of my talk is trying to encapsulate as much general advice, tell you about as much of a story as possible. One of my biggest pieces of advice is to start with out-of-the-box tools. So when building the MVP, everything was on Firebase. And for those of you that know, don't know, Firebase is a very, very out-of-the-box tool for having things like basic database setup. It's a NoSQL data store, and it's pretty much that you don't have to set up a whole server, you don't have to set up a whole API to create like a cloud data store, which is fantastic. For myself, I lean a little more front end than back end in terms of my own engineering experience. So I was able to just launch a bunch of the core features, listing address for sale, doing a checkout flow, doing all those pretty foundational things without having to set up a whole bunch of servers, a whole bunch of database read-write systems. They also do so many other things like crash reporting, analytics. And I'd say like even throughout the journey, even to this day, it's really important to try to use as many tools as possible because when you're a small team, it's hard to get up and set up so much infrastructure. It's hard to have one person dedicated to monitoring. And so it's extremely important to just like take as many, take as many of these tools as possible and see what you can just piece together. It's a bit of a Frankenstein project and that's what a startup tech platform is, but it will help you survive. My other point about this that I forgot to write down, use startup credits. Go and apply to the MongoDB startup program, the Heroku Google Cloud startup program. Make sure that, because these can cost a few thousand dollars a year if you're not careful, but if you're starting a company, you can always apply for these credits, get all your cloud costs for free. And segueing from that, jumping into thinking about, okay, what are these quick tools to get my platform, get my app off the ground? Like I mentioned, I started on Firebase, which is NoSQL. It's a base structured non-relational database. 
And Firebase is a bit restrictive in compound queries, which, but it's really similar to Mongo. So we're able to stick to Mongo. And overall, the main decision I wanted to say is that we stuck to a NoSQL non-relational database system. And so this is a big decision that you have to make early on. Why we made this decision is that you have to think about the shape of your data, the speed as which you want to do things like do quick feature launches. And I guess like a quick primer, the whole like SQL versus not SQL, acid versus base. I think it's important to think about the availability, basically availability and what's it called? Consistency, basically consistency versus availability. And what's great about a NoSQL like Mongo is that we can be really flexible with the data. And because we don't need to update it so much, for example, people might buy a couple of dresses a day or might list a couple of dresses a day, but they're not like, we're not like a social media app where people are like constantly doing chatting, accessing, changing data. It's what's considered a low write, high read frequency data access. And so this type of schema, this type of data storage solution was great for Queenly. I added a screenshot here of one of our many quick feature launches. Basically this year overnight or not overnight, we had a very quickly advancing agreement with the pageant called Miss USA. It's one of the biggest pageant systems in the world. And we wanted to create a lot of things to promote it. And so one of the things we basically whipped up overnight was Crystal Stewart, the new owner and director of Miss USA and a formal title holder herself, plus famous actress, a lot of big stuff. She wanted to feature her closet on Queenly. We had only a few weeks to like know about it, get her closet listings, scramble to list them. And so we wanted to do a bunch of different, we want to structure our closet differently, basically make this whole like data structure of fancy celebrity closet. And so that's where MongoDB was a great choice because we can just like very easily adjust our user data store, our user closets data store. And so, yeah, if you ever have a celebrity that suddenly wants to use your app, I think this is probably one of the good technical situations you can think about. Yeah, and inevitably at this stage, you want to think about database migrations. I think at a big company, that sounds like a scary word, basically moving from one data store to another. For us, it was moving from Firebase to MongoDB. I'd say that it's not that scary as long as you do it early. And for us, early meant that we had a manageable enough size and scale of our data that we were able to migrate it completely. If you're in the middle of a migration, if, if you're doing this for two, two things, like make sure you're doing this to do things like improve user experience. If, uh, make sure like being able to make this decision means that you're like able to ship an optimal user experience to your users as quickly as possible. Make sure to duplicate data. I know that's, a little tough to manage and I know that is not ideal philosophically because you'll have to like manage data in two different states, make them consistent. But what I learned as early stage startup CTO is it's better to never lose data. <laughs> and so that goes, I think that goes into my next piece of advice slash hindsight is 2020 log everything similar to like it being a good thing that you can have duplicate data. It's a good thing if you double log, if you overlog everything, like every backend event, front end event, every action that a user takes.
And this is one of my regrets that we did not log everything from the very beginning. So many of our early users in 2019, early 2020, whenever there was a crash, a weird buggy experience, like we could not remotely figure out, we, we could not figure out remotely like what actions they took to get to that screen. It's also good because like you get to, if you make sure you have all these records and metrics, it can help lay the foundation for better growth engineering, better analytics of basically like how you're actually building the user experience. So if you forget everything else in this talk, remember to just log everything. One thing I really recommend is using Amplitude because Amplitude was super easy to set up. It was just like installing the SDK and then writing one line of code. And they're, they have a lot of just like out of the box tools. Yeah, another, another thing that was outside of growing all these skills in all these tech stacks and learning about different areas of engineering, I'd say what was really useful was learning about marketing, learning about analytics when it comes to growing a company. And this is a whole field of data, a whole field of a whole field of data science actually that we we were really trying to invest in early on. And we thankfully throughout this year, we've gotten to hire wonderful growth marketers from Poshmark. And we've gotten to learn a lot about how to really like break down and how to really grow users as a startup. Because when people talk about startup growth, it's not building like one viral sensation that like magically one day you'll have thousands, hundreds of thousands of users. The way we got from zero users to our hundreds of thousands of users was through a lot of iteration, a lot of incremental changes. And so a lot of this is based in growth marketing. If you're an engineer, if you're looking to be a technical leader, it's, and even though, even though marketing might have seemed like a fluff word to you way back, or like you might have that stereotype. It's a lot of things that are like super core to engineering, like super core to what engineers can help out with. So educate yourself on all these terms, cost per click, cost per install, how ad displays work, how dynamic ads works. If you're doing any sort of consumer startup that needs to grow through paid ads, as well as through SEO, educate yourself. And in the SEO space, it's important to basically learn how it works because that's a whole industry in its own. And this is, this is also how companies don't get growth for free. It's a lot of, it's a lot of strategy. It's a lot of thinking. There's so many terms about this. And I, I would recommend just like taking classes, getting advice from people who are SEO marketers and seeing like how, like this whole breakdown of how growth works. Cause when you're an early stage tech leader, it's good to learn everything that's a bunch of things that aren't directly engineering because you're not just an engineering leader, you're a startup founder, or you're, you're leading an early stage startup. You're responsible for much more than just like one small component of a business. Yeah. I think my advice also as, as someone who's pretty front end heavy and as someone who's trying to touch as many parts of the stack as possible is similar to my backend stack advice. So our front end stack, we have apps on iOS, Android, and web. 
we have relied extensively on many out-of-the-box tools similarly, similar to our backend stack. A lot of packages and libraries when it comes to different UI components, different ways of doing like form validation, different ways of doing navigation. And I think the biggest advantage of a company this early is that not that it's necessarily overly complex or messy, but there's a huge advantage of just like making this like hybrid Frankenstein app. So for background at Pinterest, I worked extensively in Objective-C. Um, right now, the most common easy to use languages are Swift and Swift UI. And so right now our app is in this hybrid model where through muscle memory, I built a lot of our Objective-C views and view controllers, but a few of the notification logic, a few smaller views I started building in Swift was started having like that Swift component of our app. And I think, and also with uh, iOS and web and Android, they share a few web views when it comes to just informational pages, when it comes to as much shared content that could change a lot very often. This is a huge advantage to a startup that needs to move fast, move quickly, and, and doesn't have such a massive legacy code base that you need to think so much about maintaining. Another topic on this whole thing, when you're building consumer app for multiple platforms is, should I build it in React Native? And my answer is, I've worked with React Native before and it's a great tool. And my answer is you should do whatever, whatever you have the most muscle memory of. I would say that looking back, we did, I actually did build our apps from the native code bases of Objective-C Swift for iOS, Kotlin for Android, and React for web. And the reason why um, React Native hadn't been incorporated was because I had the existing experience. I was like super fortunate enough to have that existing experience of being able to rely on the muscle memory of, okay, this is how I set up the app delegate. This is how I set up the different navigation view controllers on iOS. And then I had the muscle memory of experience on how to do it on web. Doing it that way also gives you that level of fine-tuned control over building really custom stuff for each of those user experiences. But I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say not to use React Native. I'd say to use whatever tool you feel most comfortable with. And so I did whatever was speediest for us to get our app off the ground. One, one thing that I feel super strongly about, I think that there's a myth too, like along with the myth of having a super perfect MVP, there's a myth that you can just like pile on technical debt. And I don't think that's fair to your future engineers. <laughs> I think that it's important for, if you're a technical startup leader, to set an example as a role model by looking at trade-offs. Basically, you're allowed to write bad code. You're allowed to do whatever you want, of course, but it's good to manage those trade-offs, like really know why you're making those decisions, really know why it's important for you to take certain shortcuts. And it's good to just be aware of that. And it's good to for yourself to pay down your technical debt. I think it's it's good first and foremost to set that example to other engineers, just set the culture of just like taking ownership of whatever you build. But it's also good to really, it's also good because 
yourself is the person that made those speedy decisions that made those tech debt decisions and you yourself other rather than having other engineers clean up that technical debt like you yourself are the one who can do the best at cleaning it up at refactoring modularizing deprecating certain things and so i will die on this hill to say that like early startup ctos should be the ones that take ownership of the tech that they create. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit, but not really because the engineering team culture, building that team from just yourself, just you and your co-founder to this extensive, wonderful engineering team culture. That's a super important part of why you're here and why I'd love to give this talk. I think it's important to, I, I think as a tech leader, it's important to think about the soft skills to say, the non-technical things such as being a good communicator and being someone who can speak with empathy, who can understand, communicate, really build that emotional skill aspect of yourself. And so in terms of hiring, in terms of what I was starting to think of, what myself and Trisha were starting to think of when it comes to building our early team, a lot of it was built on thinking about culture, having tech interviews that are not just like purely algorithms, purely CS fundamentals, seeing if someone had the drive, the passion to really care about building the largest marketplace for dresses, to really caring about building a really nice user experience. And that person doesn't have to be interested in dresses or fashion or necessarily have that direct experience. But it's something that really signals that outside of having tech skills, those are things that really bring a team together. Another thing that I like to do in our interviewing loop is to have engineers be interviewed by the non-engineering aspects of our team. Very often, aside from the technical interviews, there's interviews where our ops team, our partners growth team talks to engineers. and. And I think that's really core in a startup to be able to talk with and show respect to the business side of things. Because when you're a small team and when you're trying to build something like a consumer app, when you're trying to build something that like everyone on the founding team should show like care and passion to, I think having that skill of being able to collaborate with non-engineers on ideas, move projects forwards is extremely crucial. And outside of hiring, what I care about is really based on really based on being thankful for my own positive experiences. I've had really great engineering mentors in the past. And so I want to do my best job to push it forward. A lot of the engineering values, I'm also the, this is the first time I'm any sort of manager at all. So this is super weird to me, <laughs> but the first things I care about is that what I mentioned, transparency, communication, and the eagerness to learn and grow. In terms of reflecting on myself, being able to be a good leader, I think it's more than just being able to make decisions and being able to like, more than just a title. I feel that as a early stage technical founder, you do have the responsibility of being a role model, being a mentor to people. and. Especially if you have something like my team where we're an all female engineering team, there is 
a certain level of advocacy. There's a certain level of, of being able to be that advocate, be that supporter for the careers of the members of your team. Here's some quick examples of basically last year, we had a few engineering interns and they, they're really great because they both love dresses. They both were interested in like pattern dresses, like all like fashion and all that. And they were both really interested in data science. So what I made them do is I made them write technical blog posts. And these were, this was also their first internships and first time they had to like write and put out content to the world for the world to consume and say, Hey, look at my engineering projects. But I think giving people that voice, giving people that platform to showcase the work they've accomplished to really, really make, give people that skill set of being able to, being able to have something they're proud of after they did their internship at Queenly after they've worked with you. I think that's a really important thing to pass forward. Okay. So key takeaways, I'll try to summarize everything. I think, I think things in general, when you're building, scaling, launching, launching new features, trying to address customer bugs and fix crashes in the middle of the night, it will always be messy. And I think. It's hard to, but it's an exercise in trying to predict the future as much as possible. So what I mentioned with choosing a database, choosing a schema, um, you'll have to anticipate things that might happen. And I think that's really hard to do, but as a startup founder, you'll have to do your best job in. Log everything, be flexible with your tech stack. Think a lot about what suits your product and do things that are best for your community and for context, a lot of our community, a lot of our user base are not necessarily the super tech savvy, super elite Silicon Valley people. A lot of the women who buy dresses on our app are just people who have small businesses, people in different parts of America. And so when we think about things like when we think about the speed and performance of our app, when we think about trying to create a really good user experience for them, that's absolutely key. And that level of empathy is key. And the hill that I'll die on is taking ownership of your tech debt. Basically, refactor your own code. <laughs> and I very strongly believe in that. Okay, I also wanted to say that try to find as many mentors and advisors as possible. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.